everyone. My name is Maria Thomas, and I work for Allianz Research, the global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors, and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Subron. Welcome to Tomorrow, a podcast where we'll be talking about our latest analyses of economic and capital market developments, as well as our views on trends affecting risk management. Let's get started. Hello, Arno. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Maria. So to start with, let's talk about the impact of COVID-19 on global wealth in 2020. What does this year's report tell us? Yeah, one thing is clearly that last year was a year of extreme contrasts. I mean, on the one hand, we had the COVID-19 virus and this virus destroyed literally millions of lives and livelihoods. And the result was the deepest recession since the Second World War. I mean, economic output declined by 3.3% in real terms. And this compares, for example, with the great financial crisis, where the decline was only one, uh, 0.1%. So it's much, much deeper recession we had to experience last year. And it, but on the other hand, I mean, there was this unprecedented sums, unimaginable sums of, of support from the monetary and fiscal policy. And this really helped. I mean, this helped to stabilize the economy and help people and markets. For example, if you look at least in most of the rich countries, we can see that on average, disposable income did not decline. And this despite the deepest recessions we have to experience. And on the other hand, also global stock markets benefited nicely from this monetary uh, support. There was for sure an initial slump at the beginning of the pandemic, but then a quick recovery, very quick recovery. And at the end of the year, for example, the MSCI world was up by almost 16%. This is really a great uh, development, a great success for these support measures. And against this backdrop, it's not surprising that also financial assets developed quite nicely for most of the households on average. I mean, we're talking here about averages. 2020 was also a good year, at least in wealth terms, if it comes to financial assets. Financial assets increased by almost 10% or to be precisely by 9.7% in 2020. And this after an increase of more than 10% in the year before in 2019. So in all in all, financial global financial assets reached for the first time the 200 trillion trillion euro and this is really a very very remarkable and impressive development and so are there particular regions or countries with developments that stood out i mean last year in 2020 Quite surprisingly, Eastern Europe was the best performer. They almost clocked, uh, they clocked growth of almost 20%. And this has mainly to do with the biggest markets in the region. One is Russia, which did remarkably well, and the other is Turkey. But with Turkey, for sure, you have to take the development with a pinch of salt because much of the, or a part of the asset growth is also driven by inflation, by high inflation. That's the story of Turkey, for sure. Another region to mention here, I think, is Asia without Japan. I mean, for Asia, the last three years, the years before the pandemic were so la la. I mean, this was more or less weaker growth, weaker growth by Asian standards, but still it was not as strong as it used to be. But last year in 2020, the region was back to form. Assets, financial assets grow, grew by double digit. And this was mainly driven by China. And China now already accounts for two thirds of all the financial assets in the region. Again, without Japan for sure. But what 
really stand out last year, at least in my opinion for me, was the development in North America. Because North America is by far the richest regions in the world. And nonetheless, they managed to grow for a second year in a row by more than 10%. And this, I mean, if you talk about North America, it's basically U.S. households. And they achieved asset growth of 11.9%. It was almost twice as fast as in the previous 10 years, in the previous decade. So this is really remarkable in my view. So what's behind this dramatic increase uh, in the U.S.? Yeah, well, several factors come together here. I mean, one is clearly the social transfers helped, that's for sure. And then for sure, the inability to consume. I mean, this means at least if it came to, to social spending, traveling, going out, eating out, all this was really restricted last year. So there was this phenomenon of forced savings. And as a result, bank deposits increased by an incredible 20%. U.S. households put 1.9 trillion euro in fresh savings into their bank accounts. This was five times as much as usually. So Clearly, this savings is part of the success story last year. But I think another factor is also to look at the long-term trends. And the key to high growth clearly lies in the portfolio structure. That means in savings behavior. And U.S. savers, for example, have just 55% of their financial assets in the form of securities, mainly equities. And that means they were able to benefit greatly from the stock market boom of recent years, not only in 2020, but also the years before. In Western Europe, for comparison, this share of uh, equity securities is less than 30%. In Japan, it's only 16%. So, And the success of this market-driven or capital market-driven investment strategy can be clearly quantified. I mean, over the past five years, on average, the increase in value of asset holdings accounted for 70% of asset growth in the U.S. That means 70% of asset growth was driven by increases in prices of asset price increases. For Western Europe, the ratio is less than 50%. It's 46%. And for Germany, it's only 11%. So that, in other words, you can see there are two different approaches to increase your wealth, to uh, increase your financial assets. One is to work hard and save a lot, say the German way. That means you're working for the money. And the other way is to let your money work for you. And this is the American way. And in the long run, it's clearly more successful. So on the other hand, you also mentioned in the report that the global middle class continued to shrink in 2020, right? Is that something that you are worried about? Yes, yes. But let me first explain what do we mean by the global wealth middle class. Our classification in wealth classes is based on worldwide average net financial assets per capita. This was around 28,000 euros in 2020. And then the global wealth middle class includes all individuals with assets of between 30 to 180 percent of this global average. It means the asset thresholds for the global middle wealth class last year were around 8,000 euros to almost 50,000 euros. And in the long run, we can see that this middle wealth class really increased a lot, is more or less doubled since the beginning of the century to yeah, around 700 million people that now can be classified as part of this middle class. And this was basically thanks to the uh, story of, of China's rise over the last two decades. But in last year, in 2020, we saw that the middle class shrank. But this was for a different reason, I have to say. It was more or less for a good reason. It was driven by the development in the U.S., where many U.S. households, after the search in financial assets in the last two years, managed to climb up. Now more of 
US households again are counted as part of the global high wealth class. On the other hand, the emerging world more or less kept its position stable. But this is just the development in last year. And we have to keep in mind that the first year of the pandemic was not too bad for the emerging markets, for the emerging world. We are more concerned about the long-term consequences about the future development because there are not only COVID-19 as a major challenge, there's also long-term trends, to name just a few, less globalization, more digitalization. And these trends mean that the group of emerging markets as a group will find themselves in a post-COVID-19 world that will make it increasingly difficult for them to play out their comparative advantages. And if we talk about the comparative advantages of emerging markets, it's mainly cheap but well-educated labor. And this will change in the future with less globalization and more digitalization. So closing this global prosperity gap can no longer taken for granted. We have to work hard on this development. So to end then, what are the main takeaways for, for policymakers? Uh, I mean, as I said before, 2020 was really an exceptional year. So it's probably difficult to draw some general lessons out of this uh, yeah, exceptional year. But I think for me, at least two things are important to keep in mind. One is savings behavior matters. And this is now even more with the return of the inflation. And given the huge challenges we face, take, for example, the green transition, which requires millions, trillions of euros in new investments. It's really a pity that these trillions of euros are sitting idle in bank accounts. I mean, for the good of the savers, but also for the good of the societies, this wealth should be channeled into long-term investments. And that means for policymakers, more incentives to nudge savers into that direction, and above all, more efforts to increase financial literacy, because financial literacy is really the key to long-term smart investment. But the other one, as I mentioned, is the global prosperity gap. It's a big concern because in the years of hyper-globalization, it was more or less a natural process to close steadily this gap. Now it can, now we have to do even more. We have to think much harder about how we can help this uh, poorer countries, how we can make sure that not half of the world is left behind. For example, against the backdrop of the green transformation, how we would like to avoid a climate crisis if many of these poorer, poorer countries cannot afford to, to manage the green transformation to mobilize the millions and trillions of investments in new infrastructure. So this is really where we have to think harder about how to help these part of the world. And for me, it would be a good start uh, to, to launch a really truly global vaccination campaign. All right. Well, thank you very much, Arne. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research, you can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too, and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode.